Good morning, everyone. The scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. to talk about parenting and children, that relationship today, and uh, we always need God's help, and so let's pray that he'll give it to us. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, long to see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear, and so we pray that you would give us all the help we need that you would remove uh, the inward distractions of the heart and the things that clog our obedience to you. Um, Give us your spirit. I pray that you would make this time a joy, a a joy to be uh, hearing the voice of God and to be in communion with you through your word. It's a gift, it's a blessing to hear from you, to be taught by you, to be instructed by you. Help us to experience it as such. And I pray that whether for parents here or for children that are here, uh, for adults who are not parents but who want to support and care together for the kids of our community or those who have a burden for the children of our neighborhood, really for every person here, that this passage would be deeply relevant and deeply life-giving and deeply helpful for your call to us to love you and to love neighbor. Please achieve that in our hearts and lives in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to dive right in head first. Two things I think we find in this passage, but not quite in the passage details, what you might call foundations for the task of parenting, deeply implied and yet not explicitly taught in this passage. Two foundations. Number one is what you might call security. Secondly is community. Two foundations, security. Nothing brings out a person's insecurities like parenting. Because you're engaged with a task that if you're taking it seriously, you are well aware of your failures before, your inadequacies and limitations. A high calling... And yet you feel the pressure to act like you know what you're doing. How much and how often is it true that we use our kids to fill these insecurities, to help make us feel significant, to help us to feel in control, to save face, to redo our life 
flaws through them. Here's some hope to help set us free. Here's some hope to ground our hearts and to secure our hearts. Here it is. You, dear parents, you, dear adults, are loved by a heavenly Father too. Deeply loved through the gospel by this God of the universe who by his mercy begins to relate to you as a father. He accepts you. He loves you. He forgives you. He has set His Son's righteousness upon you. He embraces you in all your flaws and He looks at you and says, Here is my son. Here is my daughter. Righteous in my sight. Never to be kicked out of the family. Never to be treated like a servant or slave. Here is my beloved son, my daughter. And so to start with this foundation of knowing that there's abundant grace for all our parenting failures, there's forgiveness, dear friends, and there's grace by the Spirit for us to grow as parents. You are not alone. God is for you. In fact, because He too Himself is a parent, and He's given you His Spirit. And so you don't need to second-guess every decision you make or be in denial or be dishonest about mistakes that you've made because you have a sovereign Heavenly Father watching over you too. And that's good news for your kids too because they are secure in His hands as well. Here's some good news. God loves your kids, dear parents, even more than you do. That's your hope. Not the sincerity of your heart or the skills of your hands or the books that you've read or even the Bible that you have scoured. Your great hope in your parenting, in our parenting as a community, is that God is for your kids and their growth even more than you will ever be. Hallelujah. Our children are in good hands. Hallelujah. Your kids are secure, and so are you in Jesus. Second foundation is community. Not just security, but community. You know, in a modern American life, we've made parenting this intensely private affair. What we find in this passage is actually something really different. Paul instructs children and parents about their relationship right in the presence of the entire church. You notice that. It's obvious, but you can overlook these implications. It means that everyone in the church, kids, adults, parents, non-parents, Everyone in the body of Christ is meant to share in the journey of parenting described in this passage. Everyone collectively is responsible for it in our love for one another. In other words, growing as a child and growing as a parent is meant to happen in community. In community. 
If you're a child here, you need to help the other kids in the church grow and listen to their parents and to flourish as little people. If you're a parent, don't try to parent alone. We need to find support and care and practical wisdom, especially for those of you who are disconnected from the support system of your families of origin. Do you understand that the church community can be, is meant to be your new family? So we'll fill in gaps together. We'll be sort of moms and dads and uncles and brothers and sisters and friends in this journey of parenting. Families invite couples and singles and others into the messiness of your parenting, even if that means exposing all your warts and weirdnesses of your kids and family life. This is part of what it means to be the body of Christ, even to invite accountability, to invite some trusted friends into your life to say, hey, what, what do you think about how I'm caring for my kids? We, we don't ask that question, do we? It's hands off, really sensitive, tiptoeing around each other and the parenting decisions that we make. But dare we, as a community of trust and grace, approach each other and say, hey, hey, can, can you please help me? Comment on this area. What do you see? Where do you see God at work in my life as a parent? Where am I doing well? Where do you see me falling short? Could you please give me feedback? I'm not saying this is easy, but we've got to find a way to do this lest we relegate ourselves to a life of aloneness as parents. We're learning together in community. I've got to say, myself, naturally, I'm not a natural baby guy. I don't actually know how, you know, how many, not just guys, women too, would say that they are, I'm a natural baby person. Uh, it's something that I've had to learn. And one of the ways that I've had to learn is by just hanging around family. Uh, before I was married as a single person, just watching other parents, seeing what they do, what works, what doesn't work, having good models and examples in front of me. I did not naturally love kids. I do love them dearly now. But it took learning in community. It's a foundation. The security we have in the gospel and the community we have in Christ. But let's dive into the passage and what we have here really, we'll look at this in two different parts. First, responsibilities that the Apostle Paul talks about and secondly, the reasons for them. The responsibilities first and then the reasons for them. And for responsibilities, he talks to both children and he talks to parents. In verse 1 he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Responsibility number one for kids, children are to obey their parents. To do what their parents require, as long as their parents' instruction is consistent with God's Word. Children, obey. 
And I don't know about you, but maybe that word is sort of ringing in your ears with a little bit of dissonance because we're not used to hearing that word or using that word very much anymore. We talk about the importance of raising your kids to be happy, raising your kids to be successful, to be well-educated, to be themselves. But we don't often talk about raising our kids to be obedient. What does God have in mind? And in case you're picturing or we're picturing a sort of cold, robotic obedience, that's normally how we picture that word, right? Or if you're picturing a sort of pouty, reluctant fulfillment of a parent's wishes, get verse 2. Paul clarifies that our children are called to more than just surface compliance. He says, honor your father and your mother. Honor. Which includes an attitude of the heart. Includes reverence that flows from within. He's quoting from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the fifth of the Ten Commandments listed there. You know, this reminds us that the goal of parenting is not just to control or even to just reform your child's surface behavior just by strong-arming them into doing what you feel like they ought to do or even strong-arming them into doing what you believe God has called them to do or simply to control the chaos in your home. Rather, God is calling us to dive right in to our child's hearts. Not just surface obedience, but the place where honor and reverence and love and desire and motivation springs forth. Not just to get your child to do what they're supposed to do, but that they would learn to do it with a willing heart, a joyful heart, a love for mom and dad, and most of all, a love for God. This is radical, friends, if you think about it. Because especially in the church, but society at large, sometimes we believe that the only goal set before us is to create well-behaved children. This passage is pointing us to something much deeper within. Children are called to obey their parents. Parents, then, are called to exercise humble, loving authority over their children. To be a parent. Yes, to be caring, to be loving, to give your heart and to give your life, but to be more than a friend. They've got a couple of those already. To be a parent. To exercise leadership and authority and to cultivate the obedience that verse 1 and 2, the honor that verse 2 points the child to. And so a person says, well, okay, obey and exercise authority. That means I can do whatever I want, right? Just push the kid around, force them to do things. And the Bible, of course, doesn't let us get away with that. First of all, we're reminded that we too as parents, as adults, are under God's authority. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Your authority is illegitimate if you exercise it in an ungodly, unhealthy way. But secondly, look at verse 4. 
Fathers, of course it includes mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate them. Don't make them resentful. Provoke them to anger. What are some ways that we exasperate our kids? What are some unhealthy ways that we try to produce obedience, exasperating them? A couple things. And Again, I didn't get this out of a Greek manual or a commentator. I just said... What are all the cruddy things I do? And here they are. All right? Here they are. Number one, power tripping. How do you exasperate? Number one, power tripping. Parenting in a domineering way. Whether if it's lashing out in anger or making outrageous demands that they can't meet, being overly harsh, being unpredictable, sometimes that includes being wishy-washy and not direct enough with a kid. They need to hear with clarity. Or when the kids start feeling like they're walking on eggshells because they just don't know when mom or dad are going to just blow up. Maybe some of you grew up in families like that. You know what it feels like to be in that sort of environment. Or maybe where you're just sort of pushing the kid around, telling them to do this or that, not for their good, but really just to get them to do what you want or to make life more convenient or sometimes just to make it more quiet. (laughs) Which is a good goal on some level too. Look, on this last point, if we just raise our kids to believe that the strongest person in the room always gets their way, there's a pretty good chance one day it won't be you in the room. Number one, number one, what did I call it? Power tripping. Thank you for paying attention. Better than me. Number two, manipulating, using shame and humiliation as a motivator, comparing with other kids. Ah, my, my kids are like barely alive, they're so young, and yet I see myself already doing this. It's almost instinctual. Elena's never been a good eater. Jeremiah apparently, uh, always looking to eat. It's almost automatic to say, Elena, look at your brother. Look at your brother. He's eating pretty well. How much we use shame as a motivator. Power tripping, manipulating, faking, where a person's Christian beliefs and behavior aren't consistent. The kid can sniff out your hypocrisy. You know, one moment you're scolding them about sharing, and then you turn around to your spouse and say, hey, who touched all my stuff? (laughs) No sense of generosity and sharing in your life. The hypocrisy that exasperates, which of course invites us to be parents who are always bearing our weaknesses to our children. Not hiding from them the fact that we are indeed sinners, but telling them, as I'm trying to tell my kids, Daddy needs God's instruction too. Daddy needs God's discipline too. Elena loves hearing that. (laughs) Daddy too. Daddy too. Daddy makes a lot of mistakes too. Daddy needs forgiveness too. Daddy needs a heavenly daddy too. And needs to learn how to obey him just like you. And lastly, badgering. Power tripping and manipulating, faking, badgering, just wearing them down and nagging and incessant scolding that just drains a child of hope. I just can't ever get this right, can I? in the form of bombarding them with rule after rule that sort of boxes them in and most of the time it's just to make life more manageable or maybe even just speaking to them only when they mess up and never affirming them when they do well. 
last night, oh, at this moment with Elena about to put her down, reading a book to her as we always do every night, and then it came time to pray briefly as we try to do. And as soon as I closed the book, Elena said, Daddy, uh, tonight can, can we not pray and sing? And I said, Elena, why, why don't you want to pray and sing? She said, because when we pray and sing, you tell me not to pick at my fingers. Because she's been picking at her fingers and picking and picking, even to the point of her fingers getting wrecked and bleeding and stuff. I have good reason to do it. But, apparently, it's all I've been doing. Even to the point of her saying, Daddy, Daddy, don't, can we not pray and can we not sing? Because then you just tell me not to pick at my fingers. Can you just go now? And I said, Elena, I'm really sorry if Daddy doesn't tell you to pick at your fingers for now. <laughs> can we pray and can we sing? And she said, yeah. And she said, okay, let's pray. And we said, dear God, thank you for giving Daddy a good sermon illustration. Uh, no, no. The first thing we prayed was, God, give Daddy wisdom to know how to care for Elena well, to pray with her and to love her, and to be a good Daddy like God has been a Daddy to Daddy. The call to the parent is something like the instruction that Paul gave earlier to the church, if you remember in chapter 5 when he said this, Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence to Christ. It's this vision of a parent that is humbly submitted to God first and foremost and submitted, you might say, even to their child. Not in the sense that you're giving over authority to, their, to your child or letting them run all over you, but in the sense that you're learning sacrificially to put their needs before your own, to put their need as a child to be raised up and cared for before your own. Where you parents with a knowledge that you can't just do whatever you want in all my selfishness, but that love constrains me to know how I can exercise this authority how I can parent, how I can move into their hearts, into their lives, and not simply exasperate them, especially when it's most convenient. Paul gives us the flip side, the positive side to this in the last half of that last verse, but before we get there, let me turn to the reasons. The reasons for these responsibilities he gives us, not just the responsibilities, the reasons why he says, children, obey your parents, and parents, parent, Parent your children. He says, number one, two reasons. One, because it's right. It's right. Children, verse one, obey your parents in the Lord, uh, for this is right. Now that almost sounds like Greek for, because I told you so. And I, you know, honestly, I used to think this little clause, this phrase, this sentence here was just so unhelpful. I used to think, man, what a throwaway. This is just so not helpful until I became a parent. And this is what I mean. Because we can be so uncertain of ourselves. Am I doing the right thing? 
Uh, should I really in this moment insist that my child listen to me? God says, yes, for this is right. Uh, yes, obedience is good for them. You can't immediately always see the fruitfulness of your parenting, can you? This is a long-range, long-term project. And so sometimes in the short term and in the moment, it's helpful to hear, yes, this is right to ask this of them. Sometimes parents need this kind of simplicity and clarity. Amen. But not only is it right, it's good. It's good for the children. We better believe this or we won't do it. To believe that there are real blessings that God promises to our children for their obedience. Look at verse 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And you know, at first it just sounds like Paul is saying, look, listen to your mama and you won't get shot. You know, it sounds like he's just saying, just, you're going to live longer because of it. And you know, you know, in urban life, it's not a bad lesson. Obeying your parents and following the adult figures in your life just might save your life. Don't shy away from that application, but... The apostle certainly means much more than that. And this is how we know. Because in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, where he's quoting from, this statement literally reads that you may live long in the land. It's a reference to the promised land. And that promised land represented two things to Israel. First of all, it represented God's temporal blessings. That's why he says here that it may go well with you. Life will work better for you. As a gift from God, practical stuff in life will work better if you obey your parents. Listening to the wisdom and instruction of your parents will make your life more blessed. Learning to respect authority, you better believe it, will reap blessings in school in the workplace, in all of life. The ability to follow instructions and to admit when you don't, that's a blessing, a spiritual blessing. The ability to take no for an answer, which starts at infancy, that's a blessing to learn that lesson, to grow up with a sense of accountability to other people, to Live with this understanding that someone can actually correct you and challenge you and still be for you and love you. That's a blessing to know and to abide by for all of life. These are blessings that begin with simple lessons of obedience at home. I mean, the Bible is just so practical at this point. Life will work better for you as a blessing from God, relationally, psychologically, sometimes even financially. 
a blessing. But secondly, the promised land also represented God's spiritual blessings. The presence of God. It was the local place of dwelling where God was there more than anywhere else in the world as His promise to bind Himself to His people in the Old Testament. That somehow obedience, the Bible is telling our children and our parents, somehow our obedience as children brings us into contact with the presence of God. And here's the key idea. So important. Parents serve as God's representatives in the life of the child. And this is why it's so important that the child learn to honor the authority, yes, the humble, loving authority of a parent. Because if they do not learn to do that with you, they will not ever know how to do it with God. And if they don't understand the construct of authority that God has placed in this world, they will never understand when and if they actually do fail that authority. And they won't understand that they're accountable for their wrongs. And if they don't understand that, they won't be able to know that they are indeed sinful, flawed, broken people that are in need of a Savior. And if they don't know that, they won't know a Savior. They won't know Jesus and His grace. Parents serve as God's representatives in a child's life, mediating to the child both God's authority and His love. In fact, we see this in verse 1 when Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents standing on God's behalf. Verse 4, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You're not just coming up with it yourself. You're actually training and instructing them as God Himself would. Parents make God real in a child's life. That is one of the biggest, most massive responsibilities and joys of parenting. Because a little itty-bitty does not get God from the beginning, but they do get you. They can't see the face of God, but they can see yours. They can't get the abstractions of the love of God, but they can experience yours. They don't feel the discipline and corrective care of God, but they do feel yours. And sometimes on their rear end. For their good. Which also means, of course, when your child has a problem following and obeying, ultimately their problem isn't just with you, it's with God. So stop taking it so personally, right? You can tell yourself as an adult, if you're not a parent, you're still adulting other kids and caring for them or parents over your own kids when they're raging against you. It is personal in the sense that your love for them and your interactions with them is in play, but understand, ultimately, it's not just the parent who's being disobeyed, it's God. And this perspective is just so helpful because, dear parents, you know you're not going to be around all the time. What we are training our children up for 
is how they live their life before God, even beyond when your responsibility as a parent ceases, either because you've passed on from this world or because your child has come of age and grown up into adulthood themselves. They learn to obey you so that when there's no longer you, they're obeying their true parent and their heavenly father. This is why, of course, it's so important for parents and adults to model their own need for the grace of God in their lives. Who's sufficient for this task? So humbling and yet so profound and joy-inspiring that you can have that honor of being able to communicate to them, to children, all that God has been for you. Let's finish up with this thought. Parents are already told not to exasperate kids, but more positively, the Apostle also says, verse 4, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And Paul uses three really important words here. First, he says, bring them up, and literally that means nourish them, feed them. John Calvin, in the 17th century, commentating on this verse said, this basically means let the children be fondly cherished. This is a caring word. This is a rich word of affection and love. We're also told to do that, though, in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training, it means discipline. It means teaching. It means modeling. Instruction, it's a little bit more of a negative word. It means warning, cautioning, urging, advising against you. Bundle all that up. What you have here is God's call for parents both in words and in their actions to both engage in affirmation and admonition. To love and to pour out affection and care. To praise your children. To encourage them. To instruct them. This is why you should do this. To patiently correct them. To not be afraid to say no. To urge them. This is really dangerous. You're admonishing as well. Explaining. Even disciplining. And at the end of the day, doing this as of the Lord, giving them the full range of every way that you yourself have been trained and instructed by God in Jesus. So here it is, the great secret to parenting, knowing deep in your heart and on a daily basis what your heavenly parent has done for you. Your heavenly Father, who does not exasperate or parent with capriciousness and unpredictability, who does not rage with injustice against you, who doesn't get wishy-washy in his commands but is very clear, even wrote it down in ink, who loves you in all your frailty, is firm when he needs to be firm and yet so gentle and patient and ultimately sacrificial in even giving up his own son for you. Jesus, who actually as the son of 
the Father, who actually did obey the Father perfectly and even honored His earthly parents perfectly. And yet, out of love and grace for sinful parents and children like us, Jesus on the cross got what we and our children justly deserve for our failures. Where He was removed from the great place of blessing, He was removed from the presence of God, He was the one that cried out, My Father, my God, my God, why have You forsaken me, cut off in judgment from God? taking the punishment I deserve, taking the punishment my kids deserve, that we might have God as our perfect parent and know His affirmation and know His loving admonition and by His grace being changed that we might pass on the same to our children and to the children of our community and neighborhood. So here we are. What has your Heavenly Father done for you? How has He loved you? Has, how has He parented you? How has He changed you? And let that be the beginning point of fresh grace to you, dear children, and to you, dear parents and adults and the lives of our children. Let's pray together. God, we do need Your help. And even some of us, we know we come to You whether as former children or children now or parents in a time of trial or adults trying to help kids and not knowing where to turn. We pray that in these various kinds of child and adult trials that you would give us grace to be still and to know that you are God, caring for us, providing for us. Show yourself to us afresh as our dear Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.